to the program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another full pack jam slam episode of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh i am so excited to welcome these guests on psychotic bump school this evening first off we have a returning guest uh she goes by the name of ann brannigan ann brannigan writes for the root.com a very very important voice in our journalistic politics she's back with us to discuss the kerfuffle, the development between Snoop Dogg as well as Gail King. And she has another uh, important local story that first made headlines in Wisconsin regarding trafficking. So very important stories that Ann Brannigan covers and she's joining us again this evening. That's Ann Brannigan. Also for the first time, we're gonna have Miss Caressa Boyd. Caressa Boyd is an educator, actress, and a playwright who's here to talk to us about the importance of preserving theater arts in our urban communities. That's Caressa Boyd. And it is my honor, it is my pleasure to welcome Miss Sue Taylor, also known as Mama Sue. She is the first African-American woman to own a cannabis dispensary in Northern California. And ladies and gentlemen, she's become one of the leading ambassadors of the cannabis industry right here in California. And she's doing it, y'all. She's doing it in a major way. She's been recently spotlighted on Sway, <laughs> his show, in Oprah Magazine, Forbes Magazine. She's been all over television, and I am so excited to tell you that she's right here also on Psychotic Bump School. So uh, that's our show. You might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with Mama Sue, Sue Taylor, after this. Thinking about 
Yes, we are back. Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and uh, this next guest has been described as elegant, a pioneer, and she is one of the leading advocates of the cannabis industry, and she has broken brand new ground in Northern California, and I'm so excited to have us have her here on the show to tell us about this incredible, incomparable journey that she's had. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time the Psychotic Bump School, Mama Sue, Miss Sue Taylor. Miss Taylor, are you there? <laughs> yes, I am. Hello, everyone. And thank you, Rome, for having me on the show. And I'm excited to share my knowledge and experience and this incredible journey that um, I've been on for the last 10 years. Oh. And so um, how would you like for me to begin? Oh, well, I think we just have. I am just in awe of your energy, your positivity. Uh, there's, there's just an aura of a glow about your vibe, and it, it just resonates. It is palpable. It fills up an entire uh, environmental space. And I want to hear how you came into that incredible, unique space that you occupy uh, in an industry that hasn't really uh, been too generous with its open arms. And somehow, some way, uh, by hook or by crook, or by the grace of God, what have you, you, you're making some amazing inroads. So I know that the journey starts uh, at a very, very humble place. And I know you come from education as one example. Um, how, yeah. how would an educator, uh, <laughs> how does an educator end up in an industry such as this? Can you chronicle that journey a little bit of what it was like to be in the classroom yes. from where you are then all the way yes. to now? Y yes. Tell us yes. about Yes. Um, well, if someone had told me 10 years ago, I would be an advocate for medical cannabis. I would have said, oh, you've been smoking too much <laughs> because I, I didn't plan it. Um, as you mentioned, I am a former Catholic school principal mm. and uh, I was retired from, um, from being a principal, a teacher and a principal. And I had gone to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where I had made my new home. And I had written my um, parenting handbook. I'm also an author. And I'd also, and I was getting my ministerial degree when I get a call from my son, Jamal. And he says to me, and he says, Mom, he said, uh, I know how uh, you could have your spiritual center you've always wanted you know, with the meditation and the yoga and, and the Reiki and all that stuff you like. And so I said, oh, okay. I said, and how? He said, well, it could be funded by, uh, uh, by uh, a cannabis dispensary. Mm. So I said, now, 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 now remember, this was 10, 12 years ago. So I said, a cannabis dispensary. I said, you're talking about that marijuana stuff. Right. He said, yes, mom. Yes, mom. He says, I've been, I've been going to school. I've been going to Osterdam University and I've been learning all about the cannabis. Mm. And so I said, oh, okay. So I was taken aback because this young man, he was entrepreneur. He had 
high-end car dealership, uh, tax franchise, uh, college, the whole nine yards. And so it just didn't fit and never given me a day's trouble. So I, I became very concerned. Mm-hmm. And um, I, what I did was I said, okay, I said, send me the information that, that, they're, that you're learning. And so he said, okay. And so I, you guys, I hung up the phone and these were my honest to God thoughts. Okay. I hung up the phone and I sat down. Now I was in Atlanta at the time. Mm. I said, okay, God, I sent this boy to Catholic school all his life <laughs> right. on the college. And now he calls to tell me he wants to sell weed. <laughs> Where did I go wrong? Wow. That's those, those were my honest thoughts at that time. So what I did was I said, okay. So he, he sent me the information, but the wonderful mom that I am, I said, okay. I packed up two suitcases and I said, I'm going to go and see what this young man is up to uh, because I haven't lost him the drugs and all this time. I'm certainly not going to lose him now. I packed up two bags. I say it's going to take me about two weeks to to get him straight. Mm-hmm. I flew back home. And the short of the story is I got so involved in the industry. I didn't go back for 10 years. I didn't go back to my place until December of this year, of, of this past year. Wow. I, when I... When when I when I came home back to California, I I I read the research. He introduced me to Stephen D'Angelo at Harborside, which was one of the most professional cannabis dispensaries that that they had in the state of California, and it was strictly medical then. And um, and the short of the story is now I'm I'm the the trusted face of medical cannabis across the country. But that's how I got started. I came home to save my son from 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 drugs because that's what I thought cannabis was at that time, and he wasn't even smoking. You know, he wasn't even smoking the cannabis Dang. then. You know, and so uh, that's that's how I, I I got it. And you know this, let me tell you this: mm-hmm. me working in the cannabis industry, yes, it had to be divinely inspired. Mm. because I I would have never chosen it. Right. So God, our creator, used me. I've always been a a great mom. Mm -hmm. And I I went back to call myself saving him. So I I, I think God knew that in order to get me in this this industry, he was going to have to use somebody dear to me because if it had been anybody else, Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would have said, "Oh, they're you know they're crazy," and I I don't went on about my business. Well, I am in education as well. I'm a psychologist, as you know, and so working with people who are sort of a captive audience is something that's very dear to my heart. But this particular targeted market that you have, uh, to a certain degree, that's a, a sort of an overlooked and forsaken population, unfortunately, yeah. as far as our elders. And how fair is right. it to say that you are a lifelong learner? Is that is that a fair assessment of yes, it is. Um, 
Okay, so how would you describe how one by one through your lifelong learning process with this that you were able to dispel one myth after another about what you thought the cannabis industry was all about? Can you take us through that walk a little bit? Yes. Um, <clears throat> when I first got started, <clears throat> I was I was frightened. Mm. I was I was scared to death right. because I still had um, I still had the visions of the reefer madness mm. that I, it was shown to me in, in high school about about what would happen to the body and your spirit when you when you ingest any kind of cannabis. Mm -hmm. And so, even though I was working in the in the industry. I still had those beliefs in the back of my head that this is wrong, mm. and um, I was being I would be judged, um, right. and I was going against everything that I had believed in. Mm. You know, I was a I was a, one of those advocates for the Dare program and the educational system, mm -hmm. and um, it it took time. It it. Well, it took a long time for me to become comfortable yeah. with saying, my name is Sue Taylor, and I work with seniors in medical cannabis. Mm. Because I, I had some, some growing to do and some let going to let going mm. away. I, I, I had to get a, I had to feel comfortable. And it wasn't really, I would say it wasn't until about five or six years ago where I really just just could tell because when i would go places i would never tell anybody i worked with uh cannabis i would never say it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh because of the stigma right you see and uh and so when 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 somebody would would say oh yeah guess what she does she works with with uh, with seniors in cannabis mm -hmm. i right away had to jump into my credibility Mm -hmm. of uh of all my accomplishments because people just judge you working with cannabis you you're pushing drugs right. and so i had to deal with that for years mm -hmm. for years mm -hmm. in order for me to come uh become comfortable with it and what changed my mind was all the healing i witnessed Ooh. while i was doing the work that's what changed my mind when I saw <clears throat> people with stage four cancer mm -hmm. not having it anymore, when I, I saw people getting out of wheelchairs and leaving them, they said, well, we, we found his wheelchair, but we can't find him. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was stories. It was stories like that. People would come back and, 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 and tell me mm. and, uh, and over and over and over again. And there's a, a segment where, um, on Channel Five uh, News, uh, that was that was aired on February six, the five o'clock and the six o'clock news. With this woman, uh, her name is Annette, uh, said on the news, "Sue saved my life. Sue saved my life. I had brain cancer. She saved my life." because I just instructed her, gave her recommendations about which cannabis to use. I gave it to her husband. Her husband actually is the one who sought me out. He, was my, he used to be my financial advisor mm -hmm. and he knew I was going into cannabis. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he reached out to me after six years to say that his wife had brain, um, a brain, brain cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's stories like that that I couldn't turn my back on, uh, even though I was scared. Because when it's, it's like when you know something, right. when you know something deep inside of your heart mm-hmm. and you keep it quiet, and you don't do anything about it, I don't care how scared you are, mm-hmm. you better step forward. You know, it's, it's, in, it's my integrity of who I am. Right, right. You know, I had to, and because I knew that I was the one to, of, of anybody who could be the deliverer of this message to help eliminate the stigma and knowing what this plant can do for people, Mm-hmm. And knowing what the pharmaceutical approach to healthcare is doing to this country, right? I have to speak out. That's right. I have to do what I can to let people see there are alternative ways to health other than pills. Hmm. Come on. Other than other than other than pills, and I, I have to say, I'm not a medical doctor. Okay. Um. And I also uh, have to say most pharmaceuticals have its place. They were made for short-term use, not to manage symptoms of health. This program's called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and we're joined by the incomparable Sue Taylor, who is uh, a pioneer in the industry of cannabis, and she is known for just being you you hearing it, ladies and gentlemen. She is such a smooth and elegant authority on this matter, and you you, you just reek, for the lack of a better term, you just reek of credibility here, uh, Miss Taylor. So, to get to this point, where you you want to be enterprising and you want to embark upon really going into this business full stop. Uh, how would you describe some of the hurdles in terms of opening a business, uh, getting loans, getting financing, getting backing? Uh, what was that journey like for you? Well, it was, it was all very, very challenging, even in just to get, get into, to talk to, to, to the banks, uh, to the mayor or whatever. And you know what I had to do? If, if I would walk in and say, I want to, uh, uh, get a loan or I, I want to talk with you about cannabis, they would slam the door in my face or, ha- or hang up. This is what I had to do. Uh, when I wanted an appointment with anybody mm-hmm. uh, uh, of c- credibility like that, I would say, when I make the call, I say, hello, my name is Sue Taylor and I'm a commissioner on aging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a former Catholic school principal. Mm-hmm. I had to I had to give credibility That's right. first, and right. then that would get my foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And once I got my foot in the door and they met me, yes. then they, they couldn't deny me. That's right. They couldn't deny me because of the way I look mm-hmm. and I'm articulate and I'm backed by a lot of education as well. And so then I would hit them with the, <laughs> what I wanted. And mm-hmm. so they would look at me and say, well, you don't fit. And mm-hmm. I said, I know, mm-hmm. I, I, I know, but I'm the messenger. 
<laughs> and so that's that's how I get in. When I went to get the permit, I one thing to do, whatever city you're getting the permit in, if you want to uh, say a cannabis permit, you have to be friends with the mayor and all the city councilmen. And so I met with every single one of them. I got an appointment. And that's what I had to say to get the appointment. Mm. Now, now is different. It, it wouldn't be as hard because now all cities want to make money. They want those tax dollars. Okay. You know, they get taxed. They get it like two hundred to three hundred thousand a year from cannabis revenue and taxes. Okay. So they're more open to it, but that's why it took took us so long. Uh, and this and this is another key point for especially African Americans or people of color, even brown to Hispanics, if, if they want to get into the cannabis um, industry, um, what we did was we got, we bought money from our family. Uh, our family gave us money and that's how we got started. And I used my entire retirement, my own money. And then Jamal and Kiki used their money as well. Mm. And so, but then it came to a time uh, where we needed more money. Okay. And so it's real important to partner up with a reliable, respectable investor that is aligned with your vision. Mm. And right now, they, um, Oakland, Berkeley, and a lot of the other uh, cities are get, having what they call the equity program, where Investors just can't come in and get a permit, but you could have an equity, um, you could have a, a equity partner, which is usually a black person uh, or uh, uh, a person of color, mm -hmm. uh, and you would go 50-50. And they're offering that now because of all the, uh, uh, especially the African-American males that have been incarcerated um, for something that uh, the other races uh, uh are billionaires uh, reaping the, the benefits of it. And, and we still have uh, our black brothers in, in prison and uncles right. and fathers and, and whomever. Right. So cities recognize this. So they, they're developing equity programs. And they, they've asked me often, say, oh, are you equity? And I said, no, we're not equity. We didn't get this under equity program. We got this on our own merits. Ooh. And we did. And, and we did. That's right. That's right. Well, having that foundation and being able to see firsthand the benefits and knowing that there were going to be some real tangible business and, uh, you know, public domain issues that you had to overcome, you faced them one by one. And so what can you tell us about your the physical reality, you have a storefront and when people come to your store, first of all, can you tell us what it is and what will they experience once they're there? Uh, yes, we, we are located on the corner of uh, Sacramento and Alcatraz in Berkeley, 3243 Sacramento Street. And it's a 4,000 square feet, feet gorgeous building. It took us about two and a half years to to complete that building. And we just was, got open last week. And it's, I'm very proud of it because mm -hmm. it's an elegant space. And I was walking in it the other day and 
uh, uh, one of the customers came in and they said, wow, this place is elegant, just like you. <laughs> and so I took that as a real compliment. Mm-hmm. And it is a beautiful spot. And mm-hmm. the, the, the medicine that's, that's there, we only chose the top quality medicines to come into our dispensary. Mm-hmm. We, we got to handpick who we said yes to to put on our shelf. Oh, wow. The medicines. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I have my own line. Mm-hmm. Of, of of medicine and that's just my line is just one because you know with with this with the cannabis things that that i that that i've experienced what what might work for you greatly may not work at all for me mm. it really depends on your system how much you weigh how tall you are if you're a regular user if you're not Mm-hmm. All of that stuff, all of those things, you have to take into consideration when you're choosing a, a cannabis product. And one one good thing about the cannabis is that um, you they have different ways to ingest it, and 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 we we have a specialist that goes through um, that goes through all the the product to help a person determine number one if cannabis is right for them number two which products would best service you see i'm i'm not i've never smoked cannabis okay um i'm i've never smoked it but i use it i i use rubs on my back i have bulging disc four and five on my back i rub a, a cannabis ointment on my back and I use uh, cannabis ointments for my knees. I have arthritis in my knees. The doctor said, I don't see how you're walking with arthritis. I said, well, I'm, I'm doing just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, it also, I'm also active as well with, 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 with the cannabis cream. And then mm-hmm. some people, uh, like the tinctures, drops under the tongue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some people smoke. And they, they have different, you could smoke. There's a CBD. CBD is a non-psychoactive um, cannabinoid in cannabis, mm-hmm. and you could smoke it and not not get high. You'll okay. get a good feeling, but you won't get that high, uh, like psychotic feeling. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember one time I was doing a presentation, and uh, and I said, uh, you know, there's CBD and there's THC, and I said, uh, you know, the high is, is is taken out with the CBD. And the man said, lady, why would you want to do that? Hmm. You know, he wanted the high, you know, he, yeah, you know, and which is okay. It's nothing wrong with feeling good, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. as as long as you don't abuse it, like alcohol or, or soda or whatever. Right. Um, But you know what I found out? Um, There are a lot of, I'm a commission on aging for the county, and there were a lot of commissioners using the cannabis. And you know what I used to think that you would just smoke like a joint. You, you smoke like you do a cigarette. You smoke the whole joint till it's gone. Mm-hmm. But no, that's not how you do it. You, they, uh, what I found out is that they, uh, one of the commissions said, "No, I take a hit in the morning and I take a hit in the evening, and that and that sets me. My mm-hmm. pain is gone, and that's all I need. Ooh. And that's it. And that's how most of them." 
use it. Right. It's not, you know, how, how you see the couch potatoes just sitting around and don't work. And don't, these are, and, and what, what I've said about even my products, it's not for someone who want to escape from life. It's oh. people who want to participate in life without pain. Psychotic Bump School, y'all. I'm DJ Rome. Stay tuned for more. We're right back after this. My mama told me. My mama said. Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and uh, you're listening to Miss Sue Taylor. Uh, she has a dispensary in Northern California, Berkeley to be exact, and she's uh, educating us about the process, the 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 world, the uh, just just enlightening all of us about the the realities and the benefits of the cannabis industry, of which she is, uh, as you can hear, quite the ambassador of, and so. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, ask you about this because I sense that because of your optimism, because of the way you view the world and your sense of purpose and duty as being chosen for this and uh, just reconfirming your positioning in world, in the world and your time for coming here on this earth. I mean, I, I sense a real serious spiritual alignment with you um, how fair is it to say that the spirituality piece is heavily infused in what you do with cannabis? And if so, can you discuss that a little bit with us and how it intercorrelates with how you help customers with cannabis? Yes, I, uh, and you're absolutely right. Um, because of my, my belief See, I know that God, the universe, works for our, my highest good at all times, regardless of appearances. Mm. I, I meditate every single day, mm. every seven days a week, I meditate. I meditate in the morning, always, sometimes at night. Okay. I stay in tune with my inner being all day long. I stay connected to my source. I I keep a calm heart. Mm. I I work at that. I because when your heart is calm, 
when you when your inner being is calm, you get guidance. You'll get nudges and hunches of how to operate on this earth. Who I'm guided through this. I was guided through this cannabis industry. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't. They they asked at the grand opening. They said, "Why didn't you quit?" Uh, nobody would 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 do this for ten years. You, you you wasn't making any money. It was a struggle. Right. I said, when your vision and your mission is clear, you'll mm. never quit. Come on. Because I knew I was guided. Mm. You see, it's that inner being, part of being the healing of the planet. That plant does it, and me too. I'm the messenger mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. You see, I'm the holder of light. Mm. I'm the holder of light. They say, well, um, most people just would have uh, would have quit and, and went on. Mm. And and I want to say to you and to all of your listeners, you came here with a purpose. You chose to come onto onto the earth when you did because you knew you could make a difference. Many are called few respond. Mm. The one who responds are checking in with their inner being and know what their gifts are and know that they must share it with the world or they'll die. I am happier now. I'm 72 years old. Mm. I'm happier now than I've ever been. Not many 72 year olds can say that. That's right. My, My body's in excellent shape. My health is in excellent shape. Ooh. Excellent shape. Wow. I did a seven-mile bike ride today, this evening. <laughs> it's, um, I participate in life. That's right. You see? And, and um, the cannabis, uh, my son will say, uh, he'll, he'll say, Ma, he said, you can't be... Uh, he said, you're going to have to try to smoke some cannabis because how could you be a cannabis advocate and, and never smoke? Mm-hmm. I said, baby, because I can achieve. You know how, how most people, when, when they get the good light feeling with, with the cannabis, I, I can achieve that without it. I can, mm-hmm. because look, when I get up in the morning, after I do my meditation, before I leave the door, I, I say, hmm, I wonder how the universe is going to uh, amaze me today. I look for it. I mm-hmm. see hummingbirds. I see beautiful sunrises. I see gorgeous moons. Babies smile at me. Dogs come up and, and just want to lay at my feet. <laughs> That's because of my energy. You have to pay attention to your energy. Yes. The law of attraction. Mm. What you put out, you get back. Right. If you want to know how your day is going, see what, you, see what you're getting. If if I'm getting if if I'm if I'm not uh, harmonizing with what I want, mm. I check myself. Mm. I'll look and look. This is this is another thing. When when things go wrong, I check me first Ooh. before I point the finger at anybody. Oh. I check Sue first. And you know what? One of the hardest lessons I had to learn, especially dealing with with my sons and people that I love, Mm -hmm. I had to love them for who they are, not for who I want them to be. Oh, come on. That's hard. You know, that was challenging for me, but it was a lifelong lesson. 
Mm. You love them for who they are, mm-hmm. not for who I want I want them to be. Wow. And you get along with them better if, if you take that approach. Mm-hmm. If you take that approach, and that's with that's with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 look at them and 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 you see you see the good in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because nobody's perfect, me myself included. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's um, life is all about lessons. And uh, uh, like I've, I've said before. Life brings challenges. You don't run away from those challenges. Come on. You welcome them. You look for the gifts in those challenges. One of my core beliefs is the universe works for my highest good at all times, regardless Mm -hmm. of appearances. Mm -hmm. Well, why is this happening to me now? Mm. You know, why is it taking so long for the builder? Why is this? You look for the gift. You know what the gift, the main gift in this journey taking so long for me? What is that? Is that I thoroughly enjoyed the journey. Mm. The manifestation is here. Mm -hmm. But all along the way, I had to get up to speed with not being frightened of the cannabis. I had to get up to speed with the knowledge with with the strands, with all the um, the research and the knowledge that was being produced about the cannabis, I wasn't ready to have my dispensary. Okay. You see, if it had opened up ten years ago, I was I, I probably would have quit because mm. I hadn't overcome my stigma. Mm. I didn't have the knowledge. Right. Like 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 the like the like the. The people who had the cannabis dispensaries, the uh, uh, those uh, young uh, w- young white men who were just throwing open cannabis dispensaries and making a whole bunch of money, and then uh, the police would just take their weed and then they just go. They wouldn't get arrested. They just go open up in the next city. Mm. That that couldn't happen to us. We wouldn't allow that. We have to do it legally. That's right. But it took that long because there were some lessons we had to learn, especially me. We had to learn along the way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And th- this is another. This is, I enjoyed every day, even the challenges, mm. even the challenges. Mm. I loved what I was doing. Wow. I loved giving the information to the people. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I love all that interaction. I love helping helping those people who 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 looked at me mm-hmm. and 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 just was had really given up but didn't want to give up, but they didn't know what else to do. Mm. You know, and um you know, an, an, another thing, Rome, I uh years ago I made a conscious decision that that I wanted to make this world a better place because I lived. I don't want to just exist in this world. That's right. I I, I want to make a difference because I lived, because I passed this way. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody, everybody should should think about that. 
Mm. You know, because we were born with gifts and talents. Mm. Our job is to find out what they are. That's right. And go for it. Mm. Life is exciting. I, I think I said to you once, I'm going to give it all I've got yes. while I'm living. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to rock it as long as I'm alive. Well, you as are, long as I'm alive. You are doing that. Let me tell you, um, you've been featured on Sway in the morning with, uh, with Oprah, Oprah Winfrey's magazine, Forbes magazine is covering uh, this story of yours and you. Uh, you have become such a, a supreme role model for this industry and for our community. Uh, I want to thank you so much for sharing all of this light with us. Uh, what can you tell us further about this event you have coming up on the 22nd? And how can we follow uh, the, the continuing and ongoing journey of Sue Taylor and her wonderful dispensary? Well, the, the, uh, the website is pharmacyberkeley.com. And all, all of my events is, uh, is, is, is on that website. Okay. And uh, all my articles and places I've been featured, you can find out about the dispensary. You can, there are pictures uh, of it and, um, and everything you, you need to know is on that, um, is on that website, pharmacyberkeley.com. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah. I you uh, final thought and um, you, you've already laid it out beautifully and quite eloquently. Um, before we let you go, can you give us a, a, a closing remembrance about what your message is, your why, and uh, what keeps you yeah. going? What keeps you going, Sue Taylor? What keeps me going and my message to all of you is to be good to you. You have to take care of you first before you can take care of anybody that you love. If you take care of your needs first, your personal needs, things that, that's dear to you, things that excite you, if you do those first, then when you deal with your wife or your children or the people that you love, the very best you will show up for them. That's right. Also in your business, in all your walks of life. It's, mm. it's you. We, we've been taught not to... To uh, it's selfish to take care of you. No, no, you have to take care of you first. Mm -hmm. Yes, you first, and that's that's what I do. I take care of my needs. Uh, uh, I meditate every day. I eat right most of the time, and I exercise my body. When I those things are important to me. When I do those things are important to me, everybody benefits. Sometimes when I'm off the hook, my son says, "Ooh, you must have didn't meditate today." <laughs> you know yes yeah so i said yeah yeah well it was short today mm. but yeah i just checked myself mm -hmm. you know and so and you know what most people are wonderful people don't give themselves enough credit how wonderful they are mm. mm -hmm. i see the good in people yes yeah yes yeah beautiful yeah well thank you for having me thank you for, you know what? I couldn't think of a better way to spend Valentine's Day, Valentine's Eve. Thank you for having me. I couldn't think of a 
better evening mm. to spend Valentine. Come on. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank Sue you so Taylor. much. Sue Taylor, ladies and gentlemen. We're right back after this. Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We are back. KCWG, thetruth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. Oh, and I am very excited to welcome our next guest. She is an educator who is also quite passionate about the theatrical arts. And I want to hear how she has mediated that cross section because a lot of us have more than one particular talent that we are invested in and I want to hear how she's pulling it all together. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, Miss Caressa Boyd. Miss Boyd, are you there? Yes, I'm there. <laughs> Hello. You are there. <laughs> and I'm and I'm glad you're here and there at the same time. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh fantastic. So I have a particular interest in uh, your story because being in education as I am and as you are and have been for over the years, uh, a lot of us have, uh, let's say, duplicitous lives, if you will. Uh, What can you tell Mm -hmm. us about some of your your, your background in education and how that meets and intersects with your interest in the creative arts? Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, when I was younger, I was really just, I just loved school. Um, I come from an education background. My mother was an educator, my aunt and my grandmother was. So um, it was something that I know I took very seriously because they always instilled in me that, you know, education is power. So um, before I got into theater, I always had a love for education and school. And then when I um, kind of started to deal with situations, I realized that once I started acting and performing, I was actually able to cope better with the, the you know, life problems that I, I faced throughout, like, my um, education. Yeah. And so, as I got older, I noticed how those two things really do go hand in hand. And then I later on became a teacher, 
Um, and it was funny, but my theater teachers were the ones who encouraged me to go that route. And um, I found out that if I were to get an English degree, uh, teaching credential, I would be able to also have a theater teaching credential. So that was something that was like, okay, <laughs> you know, so I actually ended up having to go into English and focusing on that um, area of ex education first before I got to go back into to studying my first love. So for me, education and theater have always been connected. Um, and so it's very easy for me to see the connections. And so now I just, I try to put that into how I teach um, and make sure that my students also are able to like have the fun side of drama, but also the, the, the words, the writing that comes from, from English and those common core subjects. Absolutely. What is your expertise then? That, that's absolutely fascinating. Uh, what's the best way to articulate what your expertise is in terms of um, like a curriculum that you would emphasize with your students and how to convey that into a career in theater? Uh, what would that look like in your classroom? Um, in my classroom, it looks like a lot of self-expression. I think for the most part, I want my students to learn how to be strong writers because I believe when you learn how to become a strong writer, you become a strong speaker. Um, it's another way for you to express yourself. So um, for me, I focus on giving students ways to express themselves. And um, by doing that, I use a lot of spoken word, hip hop, um, stuff that's really just, it's something that's one of my first loves. I love music. So um, that was very easy for me to, to, to put those together, which actually caused um, the students to become very engaged. So it really was just basically more so feeling a need. And then that became my expertise is just trying to figure out ways to motivate students by encouraging them with everything we could, whatever they were interested in, especially in the arena of music. Right. And what do you find is sort of like a, a almost a sure thing, the closest thing to a sure thing? How do you get today's, the, the attention of today's youth and code it? Because with, all of the distractions with social media and what have you. And even if they did have an interest in something where they could share that joy and love with other people, uh, the attention span is always under duress because there's so many things and a lot of variables competing for our attention. So what's a way in which you capture their attention with some of the, the, the art emphasis that you have? And is it, does it tend to be music more? Does it tend to be theater or is it both? Uh, what does that look like? Actually, it's entertainment. It's everything. Um, the attention span, because the students' attention spans are so short, um, it's easy for me because that's actually just how I am my whole life. I've been told the same thing. And as I got older, I really did, was told like, wow, you know, you have a short attention span. Um, I've even had friends call me random. And what that came from is just not being um, engaged, not really being excited enough about my surroundings. So I believe every 15 minutes we try to change it up, um, whether it's music or um, something that can just keep the students excited about coming to school. Um, we noticed that it caused a lot more students to actually want to be there and to um, encourage their classmates to do better in school and to have better, a more positive um, outlook on education when they came to school. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. But listening, I'd say listening is something that we need to make sure that we can hear what the kids are really trying to say because they they're very honest uh, this generation of students that are growing up are very honest and they're able to tell you what they need and what's bothering them mm -hmm. and i believe that 
their biggest need is to feel heard right now. They want to feel like you can hear them and you understand where they're coming from. Mm. Where are they coming from? What is it do they feel that uh, the adults in their life and in society keep getting wrong about them? Um, that they're the same. I think pretty much the same things that we as adults deal with, um, where people judge you based on one um, situation you've done. Um, one thing you've done that was probably not positive, maybe, you know, you're being, that's being held against you. Um, I've had students who feel like they're um, being forced to do things their parents aren't even able to do. Sometimes they feel like they have more responsibility. Their parents are putting their their responsibilities on, on them. And that's so much for them to deal with that sometimes they want to be a child and they want to protect their childhood. Um, they're very, uh, to me, energetic. I, I Some of the most talented students I've ever seen. Very mm -hmm. motivated and and self-motivated not like oh i'm dancing because they told me to get up and dance i'm dancing because i love to dance okay and i think that's our favorite uh we used to have um break dances in class because i just the students were balls of energy they just had a whole bunch of energy they were excited and and, and it's understandable and you know we had really long days so for the students to sit in uh, chairs all the time and not be able to get up and move around it just was something that bothered me as well so mm. we would have dance battles and stuff. You know, I won a few, uh, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, there's no, you know, just cause I'm old don't mean, you know, I'm, I'm a, now. <laughs> so <laughs> we have fun. And I think we kind of break that separation where the kids feel like they, we don't, we can't relate. And so I think mm -hmm. for me, it allows me to kind of tap into my inner child and mm -hmm. just listen to them. Listening is probably the biggest thing that's helped me throughout my career. Oh, wow. Well, if uh, someone wanted to get in touch with something like this, uh, what resources exist in a, a typical uh, undergraduate uh, curriculum or campus? And, you know, I'm talking K through 12. And even mm -hmm. if you could elaborate a little bit uh, beyond that, community college, college, uh, where can they find these types of resources? Um you can definitely search for them. I know when I was looking for a college, I actually went online first and I found Bennett College for Women in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, and that's where I went for my, to get my stay at theater for, um, for, you know, when I decided I wanted to become an actor. So I would suggest just kind of looking it up. Um, and then for I think for middle school, it's a little difficult because when we have um, the problem is usually when we have programs, especially in public schools, a lot of times the theater programs are the first ones to, to go. And it's sad to say, that, but a lot of times I've, I've been a part of theater programs. Um, I've been given programs to work that were no longer um, given an opportunity to continue out of school. So it's very sad. It's really hard. Um, what I would suggest is that um, if there is a local um, nonprofit program, there's a lot of programs in the area that are starting to open up theater programs and other um, programs that just have uh, the arts after school for students. And I would say, you know, really considering reaching out to those those programs and help to fund them. The more funding we have for the arts, the the happier our students will be, and the more students will be in schools and in on stages and out of streets. Oh, and that's what we want. Absolutely. That is what we want. Now, um, I know we don't have a lot of time with you, but 
I know that you're also interested in work behind the scenes and being able to prepare people for careers in that arena as well. So uh, mm -hmm. I would love to keep talking to you about that and uh, talk to you about diversity in the arts and uh, the degree to which black art and people of color art is represented. And that that is an entirely uh, different and expanded kind of um, conversation that I would love to have with you. but. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for joining us. Um, would you be able to come back to Psychotic Bump School and uh, share with us again sometime in the future? Oh, definitely, I'd love to. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's Caressa Boyd, educator and theater arts mastermind, helping people in the youth or within the community to uh, get in touch with these very, very uh, ominous uh, notions that they have inside of them. And like she said, you know, without opportunities and without outlets, um, our children can be led astray. So we need more and more educators out there like uh, Ms. Boyd in order to help them to help themselves to find their way. Well, this is KCWG, thetruth.com. This program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. That was the incomparable Miss Caressa Boyd. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back after this. This is Ann Brannigan, and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. We are back, Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and I am happy to be rejoined this evening by a very, very important voice in our journalistic politics. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, journalist from The Root, Miss Anne Brannigan. Miss Brannigan, are you there? Hi, uh, pleasure to be here. Oh, it's always a pleasure to have you back. Good to hear your voice in 2020. Oh my goodness, since the last time you were here, there has been so many developments 
and you have been capturing and chronicling just about everything of uh, consequence out there. Uh, but I wanted to hone in on a couple of them. Uh, first of all, uh, I know you spent a little time, didn't you spend a little time in California at some point? Um, yeah, I was, uh, I went to grad school at USC yeah. back at 2015 to 2016 so it was a very short time but I was I was out in LA mm -hmm. okay so we have this Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant situation and Brannigan and uh, it hit us really really hard out here and uh, they still have yet to uh, actually hold the uh, the formal uh, going away for him I think it's currently scheduled for February 24th and in the wake of his passing and in all the tributes that have emerged uh, we had this unfortunate uh, development between rapper Snoop Dogg and Gail King, who uh, mm -hmm. was interviewing Lisa Leslie, and the after effects of the way she was uh, inquiring with Lisa Leslie about the life and legacy of Kobe Bryant. Uh, some people took to social media uh, to express their concerns, and. Um, when Snoop Dogg did this, uh, things took a sudden turn. Uh, what can you tell us about what you know about the kerfuffle between Gail King and Snoop Dogg? Sure. Um, so, you know, the the segment was part of a larger segment, um, just focusing on Lisa Leslie's relationship to Kobe Bryant, what she thought about his legacy. Um, and so it was in that context that you know, it was a pretty wide-ranging interview that went far beyond the the rape allegations. But it's kind of been the elephant in the room yeah. for for a lot of folks, right. um, especially people who live to you know have vivid memories of that allegation and that time and that period in Kobe's life and how it ended up shaping the rest of his career. Mm -hmm. So. Gail King, of course, brings us up with Lisa Leslie. Lisa Leslie gives a pretty remarkable answer. If you really sit and sort of like think about what the answer was, she didn't give a sort of blanket, the time isn't right or this doesn't feel appropriate right now. I'm still grieving. Mm -hmm. She didn't she didn't defer the question. She answered the question, but she answered the question in a way that made it very clear that she not only did she not think that the rape allegations back in 2003 had any impact on Kobe Bryant's legacy, but that she didn't really believe that a rape had happened. And she made that very clear in her, right. in her answers. And so, you know, ABC basically cuts this clip that just focuses on this exchange out of, you know, a pretty long interview and that had already aired that morning no nobody had really responded to it until that isolated clip and story sort of came out and then people there was pretty widespread outrage from what I could see and you know looking at Twitter alone shouldn't be the only tool a journalist uses but it can be informative just to give you a sense of the things that people are saying and there was this widespread condemnation of Gail King, of which Snoop Dogg's remarks were among the most widely shared. 
Um, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't even say it was the most vitriolic. I think people were saying a lot worse things about Gail King. Mm. They were saying that she and Oprah were trying to destroy black men's legacies. Right. They, um, you know, Snoop Dogg called her a dog headed bitch. Um, and, you know, have made some pretty, some comments that could be construed as, as threatening her. Um, and, you know, other athletes of, and public personalities certainly all voiced displeasure at Gail King and support for Les- Lisa Leslie, like in the immediate aftermath of that interview. Mm-hmm. And so for folks who had been in a more maybe contemplative and reflective state since Kobe's passing, who are kind of trying to reconcile what are really irreconcilable things, which is... Kobe's greatness as an athlete and his contributions in these specific areas of his life. So advancing and attempt, attempting to sort of advance and promote women athletes and right. the right, the headway he was trying to make as a storyteller, mm-hmm. reconciling the things that they like about Kobe, his how inspirational and how formative like of a athlete he really is with this rape allegation, which had a huge effect on his career and would shape the way a lot of folks thought about sexual assault and who, you know, who gets punished, who you can talk about, how you will get treated as a victim. Um, All of those things are part of the story. And so if you were watching that all unfold at the level that it was sort of happening this this really passionate knee jerk and and really kind of ugly comments it was a really disheartening and draining thing i could imagine you know right right and what about the final part of it he said and i quote uh we're gonna come get you i mean it was one thing to express his his pain and frustration about the the loss of kobe and gianna but in what ways did the, it sort of paint the, the discourse a little differently when he sort of, you know, added that little caveat at the end that we're going to come get you? Uh, you know, from, from a woman's standpoint, uh, how else could Gail King take that? I mean, I think it's fair for her to perceive that as a threat. And I think if it were you sort of like sitting on the subway or on your way to work and somebody says, we're going to come get you, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not, you're not going to treat that as a joke, even if you might know on some level that it's not coming from a place of complete sincerity, but the amount, it's also the amount of people retweeting this piling on. I mean, it really was, this this tidal wave of backlash against her that was really outsized, you know? So it's not fair to say that people were just expressing concern. You know, concern is, I really wish you hadn't said asked that question or it wasn't appropriate for you to ask that question, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. That's expressing concern and criticism. Like calling someone a doghead bitch and saying, we're gonna come get you is not expressing concern. Mm. That comes from a place that's much more personal and hateful. Right, right. And it crosses so many other 
parameters because when you think about Gail King, first of all, Gail King has emerged in the last 12 months. Maybe I've missed something, but I saw her last year when I was in New Orleans with my wife at Essence interviewing Michelle Obama. Of course, we saw her a few months ago. You know, <laughs> she hasn't recently dealt with some drama recently with the R. Kelly thing in that interview. We saw how that turned out. And now mm -hmm. this, and it seems like Gail King is, seems to be the go-to journalist to, for, for capturing uh, waves of this caliber. And when I think about Snoop Dogg, if we could talk about Snoop and uh, just, oh, you, you touched on so many things there, um, Anne, because the whole thing about destroying black men and uh, Bill Cosby tweeting from jail uh, in support of that argument, you know, black women who want to destroy power for black men, it's like, oh my God. Now, <laughs> what do you think, how has this impacted Snoop's reputation? Because at times he can be the, the adult in the room when we're experiencing tragedy, like how eloquent he was when we lost Nipsey Hussle, for example, or when he speaks out on politics occasionally. And, you know, he may tweet or make a little video about uh, the current president in uh, the White House right now. And, you know, he just came off of this whole gospel album thing. So, and he's with Martha Stewart. I mean, <laughs> his, his storyline is very complex and convoluted. So, and what, what, what would you say this does to Snoop's reputation as a cultural figure uh, in our times right now? Right, I think, you know, and I'm 34, so I've seen, and I think a lot of folks have seen sort of Snoop through the years and the way his public persona has sort of morphed, you know, from, you know, being at the forefront of sort of like California gangster rap to like now almost taking this sort of like comedic, um, sort of like eccentric uncle role, yes. right? Right. Um, you know, because he does a lot of like really goofy sort of silly videos too. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, there's a sort of like eccentricity, I think, to his all over persona and the sense that he's kind of like scaled back or mellowed out a bit with with age. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yes. So in terms of his reputation, you know, it's it's a bit of a mixed bag because... I think we can expect folks to kind of speak eloquently in support of folks who are like them, right? Or who think like them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with Nipsey Hussle, you know, that is going to hit him pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and he's going to have an insight into that because of his relationship to Los Angeles, because of his relationship to hip hop, right. and probably his own personal relationship to, you know, Nipsey Hussle himself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and anything you would say about Trump, I mean, those aren't the most eloquently expressed, elegant ideas, but they're cathartic to hear sometimes, right? <laughs> I hate to say <laughs> you know? it, but you're, you're not wrong, Anne. <laughs> I hate to admit it, but yeah. <laughs> so, so we have these figures that are these, that are really, these public figures, these celebrities that are really helpful when you're like, oh, they, they're expressing this thing in public that I either can't or just don't have the platform for, and it can feel really satisfying. But Snoop has always had his blind spots, and gender has always been the been one of those. Mm -hmm. You know, for the entirety of his career, and something that came up in the last weekend. I didn't write about this, so 
quite a few of my colleagues at The Root did and quite a few people, you know, quite a few journalists and other folks online really, really unpack this, but he has never really been an advocate for black women mm. in quite the same, in quite the same way you see him being an advocate for hip hop generally or men in hip hop or men generally. Interesting. Um, so, so I wouldn't expect him to have the sort of like fully nuanced sort of developed um, take on on Kobe's sort of rape allegations. Like I, I wouldn't expect him necessarily mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to think too much about them. But it's one thing for for you to have an opinion, right? And to sort of have your own choice in terms of what you choose to remember about a person. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to A, use your platform to express these things in a way that is irresponsible. Mm -hmm. And B, more specific to what he actually did, to attack another person in the way that he did. And I think he eventually ended up sort of walking it back or apologizing later. Yeah, um, to attack another person, let alone, you know, a black woman in the way that he did. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it came so e- it seemed to come so easily and naturally to him was a thing that raised a lot of people's eyebrows. Right. Um, but if you look at his history, you know, there's his relationship to sort of Martha Stewart. That's kind of this cute buddy buddy sort of like, uh, you know, that mismatch sort of like cop comedy sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you I can't, and you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't, I haven't paid that much attention to Snoop in the last few years, but I've never seen him really advocate for black women in any, in any way that's meaningful or impactful. Oh, wow. That is a a thought provoking uh, concept right there. And uh, I think it's something that he's going to have to reckon with because you're absolutely right. Um, This 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 alliance that he has with Martha Stewart, I mean, talk about an uncanny uh, arrangement. I mean, who would have thunk that the two of them would uh, generate such chemistry uh, on a program? Um, I don't know whose idea that was, but it seems to, has, to have gained some traction. Uh, but by contrast, if you could recall, and uh, you remember, it's probably getting closer to when uh, President 45 was elected. Remember Roseanne Barr had that little kick up when she, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So it was Mm -hmm. a black female television executive at ABC or whatever network it was to say, hey, uh -uh, we we ain't doing that, (laughs) sis. Mm -hmm. You got to go. We writing you off the show and you can go do you, but we not doing this here on my watch, you know? So Mm -hmm. this is something I think that Snoop is going to have to reckon with. I mean, this is now going to be a part of his legacy and people, when it's all said and done, are going to be asking, in what ways does this taint or impact or not our perception of Snoop Dogg's legacy in the grand scheme of his entire career? This is something that he's going to have to reckon with. You're absolutely right. Wow. Um, Thank God for Black Mamas, who uh, obviously pulled his coattail and said, hey, two wrongs don't make a right. You got to go make it right for that sister because... Gail is an mm-hmm. elder, you know what I'm saying? And she she didn't deserve that at all. 
Uh, before we let you go, I wanted to talk to you about uh, another story that you've been covering recently. Um, a young sister named Crystal Kaiser has been making the news and uh, it brought up some painful echoes of some things that we commonly uh, don't always hear on, on headline news. Can you talk to us a little bit about Crystal Kaiser and what her current situation is? Sure, so with Crystal Kaiser, this is uh, a young woman, she's 19 now, um, who's on trial for murder, I believe it's in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And she's accused of murdering her alleged sex trafficker. So this is a man who she met when she was 16. Uh, he was aware that she was 16 and underage. Um, she had put an advertisement on backpages.com, which is sort of like this uh, a classified ad site online that's a bit that's known for 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 prostitution and sex work. Yeah. And so he found her there. She had basically been asking for school supplies. <laughs> Uh, for money for school supplies, he fi he finds her on there and he begins this relationship with her, this sexual relationship. Um, and in her conversation with a reporter from the Washington Post, she even said that he had, you know, sold her to other men to have sex. Um, she was having sex with him and he would give her money, pay for things, you know, let her borrow his car so they were having this this relationship and he was a I must say this is a a man named Randy Voller his he's 34 years old or was 34 years old mm -hmm. at the time of his death so police found um at one point while he was still alive evidence showing more than a dozen underage black girls that he had pornographic photos of. And Crystal Kaiser was one of them. They took him in, but they never, um, and charged him, but he never spent a night in jail. He never had to post bond. He was out as they were sort of investigating these claims and they already had a lot of information. They had a victim come forward, all of that stuff. And so this is all happening in the months leading up to Crystal Kaiser and him sort of having a falling out. And so one day, I believe it was in 2018, she goes over to this house and um, her, her, her side of the story is that he attempted to rape her and she shot him. Um, and burned and later burned the house down. What prosecutors are saying is that this was a premeditated murder and that she wanted to kill him for his car, basically, because he had promised his car to her. Hmm. So this is a story, and she uh, she was on a million dollar bond. Um, in Wisconsin, you have to pay the full amount of your bond. Ridiculous. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> So until a couple of weeks ago, she was on a million dollar bond. It's now been reduced to 400,000, which is still an incredible amount of money. Right. Um, but yeah, she's, she's a girl who had been abused when she was younger, who was clearly entering into this, like into the situation, to this relationship with this man as, 
as as a child right. and a man who was taking advantage of her as a child and by Wisconsin law if you are having sex with an underage child for money that is considered sex trafficking so even if you don't sell that person to another person to have sex that is still considered sex trafficking mm. so this is a case that definitely you know is reminiscent of Santoya Brown's case right. in Tennessee where we're, we have to ask this question you know when a young girl is in this situation and she kills her alleged abuser you know do to what extent do we prosecute her or should we prosecute somebody who is a victim of a crime right. and you know who's very like and for whom that crime might be the you know the precipitating sort of factor mm-hmm. um and so it's a it's a really a case to pay attention to and really you know for the amount of implications it has probably still an undercovered and underrecognized case. Oh, um, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I would say, uh, and sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but just like an, a, a thing I found really interesting because I did a quick little story about that the same week that, um, you know, Girl Dad was trending. Right. Um, and And it was amazing to me, you know, I didn't see a whole lot of views on the Crystal Kaiser story. Um, and here is, you know, one, like a very vulnerable young black woman. Mm-hmm. And here we are sort of collectively as a society sort of like um, praising dads who have daughters or praising people who stand up for daughters or stand up for women as if being a father is, it's an act of public service, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and here is this vulnerable, you know, young woman who really needs help and care and to see the contrast in the attention she receives, you know, in the media and elsewhere and the care and just compassion she right. receives on a societal level i mean it's it's really stark mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah it, had i not seen your article and i don't know where else this is honestly being covered and she has a fairly unique spelling of her name off the top of your head do you know how to spell her name yeah it's c-h-r-u-y oh yeah c-h-r-y-s-t-u-l mm-hmm. and then last name is k-i Z-E-R. Okay. So I'm, when this is a uh, archive, I want to make sure I, I lay that out. And uh, I didn't know you were going to link sort of the, the two of those together with uh, the girl dad thing, obviously referring to Kobe Bryant and Gianna and this story, mm-hmm. but I can see the ominous parallels that exist right there because you're absolutely right. Here we go again. I mean, it brings back uh, extremely palpable memories of the Centoya Brown case. I mean, it's like, here we go again, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we, we saw the lack of justice that was uh, carried out in her case. I mean, she's out and free now, but at what cost though? I mean, what, what damage has been done in terms of the years she can't get back, the, the peace of mind she can't get back, 
the, the trauma that she's now gonna have to deal with perhaps for the foreseeable future. And this young lady you're talking about now, how old did you say Crystal Kaiser is or was when this started? She was 16 when this relationship started. She was, I think, um, 17 years old when she shot and killed Randy Voller, um, or when she's accused of shooting and killing Randy Voller, mm-hmm. um, and has, I think, she's 2019 current. I mean, she's 20. She's 19 currently. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, and yeah, like Santoya Brown. Um, she is facing the maximum penalty for for her crime is life in prison, which is, I believe, what the prosecution is seeking. Hmm. Incredible. Uh, if people want to follow this, I mean, obviously you're covering this story. So thank you so much for uh, sharing it with uh, our audience here. Uh, is there any way for people to follow that story? Uh, you mentioned the state of Wisconsin. Uh, How many other outlets have you seen covering this? And will you continue to monitor uh, this circumstance with Crystal Kaiser? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to keep my eye on it. I think um, it's in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And I think that local paper has been covering it pretty robustly. And the Washington Post has really done, I think, a stellar job of covering the story. They're the ones who really made it break national. Um, and the reporter, Jessica Contrera, has been doing just a phenomenal job, I think, really digging into like the nuance of the case and really following up on it. So, you know, to give credit where credit is due, I think uh, the Washington Post coverage really stands out. Absolutely. Well, your coverage really stands out, too. I want to thank you for uh, coming back to chop it up with us a little bit. What's the best, uh, best way for people to follow your work? Um, best place to follow my work is at Ann Brannigan um, on Twitter, um, A-N-N-E-B-R-A-N-I-G-I-N. Awesome. Well, that's Ann Brannigan from The Root, one of the most uh, powerful voices out there uh, in media and uh, Black media in particular. Y'all really do an amazing job, Ann. So thank you so much for uh, covering these stories. And uh, come on back and join us again, okay? Of course. Thank you so much. Well, that's our program, ladies and gentlemen. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome. I'm your host and DJ and psychologist. And you know I'm here every week from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. also want to thank our guests for the evening, Miss Caressa Boyd, Anne Brannigan, and of course, Mama Sue, Sue Taylor. So that's our program. We'll see you next week, y'all. Take care.